Robert Elder. Today, uh, Len Fisher is taking the evening off, but that's not going to stop us from having a great conversation with an old. I ended up going to uh, graduate school in public health. In the last 13 years, I split my time. I do half of my time. I help uh, run a networks of medical clinics and try to provide and save money. And the other half, I called uh, Partnership for Healthy Lincoln, that also now has a state division, Partnership for Healthy Nebraska. We work a lot on projects and health disparities, a lot of grant funded stuff, local, state, and federal grants. And so, and then when I'm not, if that wasn't enough, then I'm also on the school board here in Lincoln. And that's been kind of busy the last few years for a lot of reasons. So, for a lot of reasons, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I just have to again say thank you for just, you know, turn around being so free and open, just come on and just, just have a conversation. Um, I think I got a hold of you on. Tuesday, maybe. <laughs> like, hey, what do you think? And you, you had asked me, well, what do you want to talk about? And um, we ran through a couple of things, but you sent over um, a, uh, a it's a policy brief, but the but but the whole name is Align Nebraska Prenatal Care and Infant Mortality Policy Brief. The subtitle is Average Isn't Good Enough for Nebraska Kids. Now, just for our listeners' sake, you know, you know, we're going to talk a bit about this, but I also want to get into, you know, what's that look like here in Lincoln? So, first half might be learning more about what's going on out in the state, what's the problems. The second half will be more, what's that look like here locally? Okay. So, there's lots of different ways to start on this document, uh, Bob, but perhaps first, if someone wanted to read this themselves, what's the best way to get a copy? Go to healthynebraska.org. So it'll be it'll be one of the first things you'll see because uh it's one of the first projects we launched after some of the mapping stuff we do so um sure. it was kind of it was kind of like i, I was talking to you earlier this it was sort of a surprise project we didn't plan to do it initially uh we got presented with a problem one of our uh medicaid uh chief medical officers for one of the health plans they were struggling getting data on, on young pregnant women and we said you know we're kind of working on something like this and she said could we hire you to create sort of a framework of how we could make this better and we started talking amongst some folks and we brought in a couple other organizations so uh, we brought in the university of nebraska college of public health uh there's a group out of omaha called the nebraska prenatal quality improvement collaborative uh, and then us and we all started working together okay first of all you know, we took a really systematic approach like what's the data show uh, a lot of people have you know, lots of armchair quarterback opinions on things but uh, we really dived into the data and uh, Ted Frazier and I were able to get approved as CDC researchers so that we could get access to the entire state's uh, birth records for the last few years and start looking at, okay, what did make a difference? You know, within birth records, you say, see things like, you know, babies that were born prematurely and low birth weight transferred to an intensive care unit. And those are the things that lead to infant mortality. And so we started going through and look at all the factors that are making you a woman high risk for that. And then looking at the things that we could actually change you know, I can't change someone's ethnicity or income very easily, but there are things that are done or not done during pregnancy that are changeable. We found out that there's actually several that were uh, very sensitive as far as if you could make a difference there, it would make a big impact on reducing things like preterm births and low birth weight children. So we started focusing on that as our big policy goal. Uh, and then we all started mapping across Nebraska because it's not the same across Nebraska. Um, what we found is that uh, surprisingly, well, I guess not too surprisingly, the higher income women had much higher rates of prenatal care and lower birth complications, sure. so not too surprising there. But we have a lot of disparities in Nebraska. 
but they weren't the same. Like there are areas in Nebraska that actually did surprisingly well, even for low income and Medicaid women. And so, and it turned out it was mostly rural areas. So sometimes people have this misconception that it's harder to get care in rural areas. Sometimes it's not actually. So for example, around Albion and Columbus, they do a really good job with prenatal care, but other areas we don't do such a good job. And we found sort of three main areas that 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 weren't doing as well. Uh, it was urban areas, so one on Lincoln, unfortunately. Uh, it was the uh, Indian reservation areas, uh, which probably doesn't surprise people too much. And basically any county with a meat processing plant, uh, because uh, a couple of things that it, the people who work at a meat processing plant, there are a lot of recent immigrants, language barriers, uh, there may be something about the work environment that's, that's a challenge as well. And so those are our three big areas where we saw that a lot of women weren't getting enough prenatal care. They were going late to prenatal care. And then when they went there, they weren't getting enough visits. And uh, there are so many things that can be done through pregnancy to create a healthier pregnancy. And one of the things that struggles me where it frustrates more than anything else is Nebraska's numbers aren't very good on all this. So. Right. And that's something that I thought was really interesting. It was it was, it was stated very, very early that uh, Nebraska's uh, Infant mortality rate is I have the strong uh, five out of every one thousand. Is that right? Five, five and a half out of a thousand. Yeah, five and a half out of a thousand. Just and when we when we had said that you know when you look at most developing countries or just other you know well achieving states, well achieving states within the U.S. is uh, four out of a thousand. Um, or, or two or three actually. Yeah. So. Right. Sure. Or or lower. Um, uh -huh. What is the developing world's no no case at? I guess I, I I don't remember seeing a number for that. I just want to get some context here. Other countries like say Japan and Ireland, for example, they're I think Japan's even less than two. Um, most of Europe, uh, but some areas of the, of, the, of the United States actually do pretty well too. So it's not it's not solely an American thing. It's it's how we do things based on in regional things and. What we find is a lot of it is it's knowledge about the need to get in for prenatal care and there's the ability to access it. And so sometimes women age don't know that they can get in. Um, a lot of women didn't know, for example, we did some focus groups. They didn't know that if you didn't have health insurance, Nebraska will cover you under Medicaid through something called presumptive eligibility. So so just because you don't have health insurance, they'll automate they'll almost auto give you an automatic approval. You have to go to the doctor's office and they'll they'll help you through the paperwork, but you, it'll be covered. So so women shouldn't delay care because they don't know if they have any health insurance, for example. Um, and so that was a, a common misconception. And so letting women know like, hey, you know, some people don't plan to get pregnant and it's an oops and they're, you know, two months along, just call the office and they'll get you in most of the time. Uh, and then if you, and they'll work with you and try how to access uh, coverage for that pregnancy actually. Within your report, you have, you know, maps and tables broken down by health districts. And a health district is a unique geography that's not always intuitive. Yeah. Um, you got access from the CBC to get all the state information. Did you get address level information, county information? Did you get that finite of information or did you just, or was it reported just by health district? We have it by county. And so we do have some county maps too that we've been working on. Um, the reason we did it by public health district is that this is something public health district should also work on it. And so some, some counties banded up into together into health districts years ago. And so we did it that way because it's a, it's a cleaner map. And then some counties, the numbers are so small. So for confidentiality reasons, we can't show numbers before below a certain number. And some counties in the Sandhills, for example, the county, the number of births are so low, we can't show data. It's not prohibited. But on every public health district, there was enough babies that we could say, okay, yes, the, the, this we can show you data. And so partly it was a data and confidentiality issue. 
that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I've done a number of focus groups for another um, other projects uh, through the city and through my own private work. Um, there was a few uh, direct lines from the focus groups that you had. When, when you did your focus groups, was it just in Lincoln and in Grand Island, or did people have a chance to do a survey? What was the uh, depth and breadth of that focus effort? Just trying to get an idea there. Okay, well, we had some. Uh, we did. We had a limited amount of money, so we so we did focus groups in Lincoln <laughs> and Grand Island because that's what we could afford at the time. We're actually ra raising money for the next round of these things to do actually not just focus groups but community education next. But we figured Lincoln and Grand Island were good snapshots because they're both areas where their prenatal care isn't as good. The access rates aren't as good for especially your Medicaid population. Um, and uh, you know, Grand Island it's a meat processing plant town with uh, JBS, so you've got a lot of high degree of immigrants. Lincoln be a refuge being a refugee resettlement community. You what we're finding a lot of it it's language barriers, for example, and just knowing how to access our system. Our ac system isn't easy to access sometimes, and nor is the Medicaid application easy sometimes. And so, so for example, one of the the uh, people that gave us a lot of good information is a, a Sudanese uh, community breastfeeding educator, and she was telling us some of the things that that they're that the women were struggling with because just knowing where to go, for example, or the Grand Island group was finding out. Um, just just uh, language barriers, not knowing where, where would I start. Um, there were even things like uh, because one of the companies wouldn't provide a pay stub. You need, they thought they needed a pay stub and they couldn't get the pay stub to apply for Medicaid. And so there's just a little lot of logistical barriers along the way. Um, and, and it's it's, you know, someone who works in the system kind of knows it. But someone like, say, you know, a 19 year old woman who doesn't speak English as her first language isn't going to know how our Medicaid system works and how how you would access these things. And so we found that there were just a lot of these little things that would be readily changeable. So like, for example, El Centro de las Americas worked with us on some of the focus groups. They've got the tools and to help somebody. So if you didn't know, you could call somebody at El Centro de las Americas and they'd help walk you through the system, for example. Um, and so a lot of it's sort of knowledge stuff. If, if we could fix some knowledge gaps, that would have, that would fix a good chunk of it, for example. And then uh, our application system could be streamlined a little bit. And we've actually worked with Nebraska Medicaid. They've actually fixed some things already. Um, so, so that there's some bright spots actually already. So, so, so again, you started with there's a problem. Infant mortality is too high across the state. Within your report, you say that hey, let's just set some big goals, and mm -hmm. and that that first goal is that all of Nebraska, all of Nebraska communities and public health districts should set a goal of uh, greater than eighty percent of Medicaid eligible pregnancies should receive adequate prenatal care. Mm -hmm. Where are we at on that exactly? Uh, uh, we, we actually, well, the, the report has 2020 data. We actually have 2021 data now, actually. So there are areas of rare, uh, Nebraska that are already above 80% for, for, for not, not just private, but even Medicaid, but it's mostly rural. Um, and so rural yeah, so we're gonna try to focus on the areas first where we have the biggest needs. So Omaha, Lincoln, Grand Island, Lexington, uh, Crete, for example, uh, north northeast Nebraska, where the Indian Reservation. That's where we want to prioritize our efforts and try to hit that eighty percent. And we're also we've also just added targets not just for Medicaid but by ethnicity. So we want Hispanic, Indian, Asian, all of them to be at that level because uh, Nebraska it does sort of often does above average on things. But if you look the break it down, the disparities between good and bad are really, really wide. wide. So, sure. uh, so we, we fall down a lot of times with low income women in our minority populations. You know, it was, uh, 
I don't want to leave it till the second half and have some really you know more pinpointing question for a sec for the second half. But when we talk about the disparities be between those special demographics, not special, but just those different different demographics. When I looked at the chart that looked and, and, it, and it broke it out by ethnicity, it was the infant mortality for African Americans was just that was amazing. I mean, yeah. in a wholly negative way, if if the state is at five out of five and a half out of every thousand, that subgroup was you know almost uh, 14%, you know, what was yeah, so 14 out of a thousand. Yeah. That's so it's almost, almost three, three times three as bad. Times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as you would read through other facets of the report, what are the other, you know, contributing factors to some of those, some of that would be income access just just as you said but also um, diabetes and how that impacts uh, different uh, subgroups and, and when we think of um, our uh, african-american community it's just not uh, more of a classic sense but we have a number of refugees from other countries and those yep. built those cap gaps and categories when you mm-hmm. looked at more of that refugee african-american population versus more of uh, your uh, united states did that was there a wider gap yet? Is it really just that it's just a whole lack of knowledge of what's there that's just driving us? It sounds like that's what it is. Yeah. So one of the things we found is that a lot of some of these differences go away when you correct for all the other variables. Like a lot of the racial areas started going away when you start correcting for things like diabetes and high blood pressure and did they get in for prenatal care? And the thing is that I can't change race but we could change when you get in for prenatal care. And we think that that actually would make a big difference. So we, the push is getting women in, you know, A, getting in at least that first eight to 10 weeks. So that first appointment, because there are a lot of things you could catch early in a pregnancy that could be either A, prevent prob- complications altogether or, or minimize the risk. So for example, uh, when a young woman, there are some infections that a woman can have that can put her at risk for having a preterm birth, for example, or birth defects that are treatable. And the earlier you catch them, the better. Uh, and there are other things you can identify earlier. So if somebody had diabetes and they were out of control early in the pregnancy, the faster you get that diabetes under control, the lower the complications later in pregnancy. One of the misconceptions we had, there are some, some of our uh, immigrant community came from areas of the world where there was no prenatal care. So they just, it's not something that they were familiar with. And they had sort of that fatalistic attitude, kind of like my grandpa on the farm, you know, it's my time, it's my time. And they said, and we had to say, no, there, there are, some not all not all babies are destined to die some of them would live if we could do these things and so so having somebody like uh Camisa, this community health worker start talking to them and say no actually if you get in these things are preventable and so uh so the, a lot of the the birth complications are preventable um there are some general health things we need to work on the population too so if you have higher rates of diabetes lower rates of physical fitness higher rates of smoking those are all going to increase your risks um, and so, you know, those, those, those risk reductions start even before the pregnancy starts, obviously, if we, if we could get women, at least who are at least just thinking about pregnancy, or if they're at least not, they're not trying not to, you know, we, well, we should, uh, you know, vaping, smoking, making sure you get enough, don't do that. Make sure you get enough exercise, healthier diet. Uh, if you're thinking you might think about getting pregnant, start taking your prenatal vitamins, for example, there's some nutritional things like iron deficiency or lack of folic acid, lack of folic fats can cause birth defects, for example. That's why it's in prenatal vitamins. Um, and then if you, well, if a woman happens to find out she's pregnant, okay, get in as soon as possible and start addressing these things as early as possible. 
And that would that prevents a lot of these complications. And so it's that access to care, regular follow-up and prevention really can prevent a lot of uh, a lot of our, our birth complications and could get rid of a lot of those disparities in infant mortality. So we're having a really fast-paced, fun conversation. Usually yeah. we take a break, but let's just do the quick and dirty version of it just so we can make the FCC happy with us. Yeah. You're listening to KZUM 89.3 FM. This is our street. We're having a great conversation with Bob Reiner. I don't want to. I don't want to stop the groove too much here. Uh, hopefully, you don't mind, Bob, on that. But mm-hmm. what, I, what I'd like to do, just in the second half, is, is uh, just do a few more of the takeaways from the focus group that I thought was really interesting. Then uh, to ask about some of your uh, uh, executive summary, big bullets of things that you want to do, and then lastly, mm-hmm. what's that? How's this impact Lincoln? And um, what are things we can do locally? So with that first one, some of those mm-hmm. you know, big fo- uh, key takeaways from the focus group was, um, you know, one was, you know, lack of knowledge and about the importance of early prenatal care, just as you had you know, said just here a few minutes ago. But one of the ones that was really interesting to me was uh, the desire to conceal pregnancy from family or an employer resulting in delays in seeking care. I have a friend who is 65 and she talks about her mother who back in like the 40s said the same thing. If she was pregnant, then she can work. And it's just it's so interesting just to read that, that 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 feeling still exists in granted, I'm a guy. But that was really just that still is pervasive in people's mind. Um were you surprised by that, or was that just something that you were thought like, "Yep, yeah, I see that enough." That's just I wish that's I, just common I wish, knowledge. I wish I could say I was surprised. I would just say I was disappointed that we haven't come far enough in that area. One of the areas is a woman who was working at a meat processing plant that they were only given enough a certain number of times they could be off 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 the line essentially. Well, that that's why she wasn't. They weren't going to prenatal appointments because they couldn't get time off to go to the prenatal appointments. So sometimes the workplace wasn't allowing that because they had their own productivity issues they were trying to meet and they weren't thinking unfortunately of her pregnancy and so so we do have work environments in nebraska to this day where that is an issue which is this is which is disappointing yeah and so again perhaps it's perhaps you know but i do not know there is no uh, state statute that grants a certain amount of protections for a pregnant woman i know that we have no no uh when it comes to like fair housing and things like that, that you can't discriminate based on someone because they're pregnant. Um, does that same aspect present itself within the workplace? Is that yeah. a is that a law solution or is it just a company solution? Well, either could fix it. You would hope a company would just fix it and not True. need the state to step in. But there are some state policies that we could talk about. Like for example, one thing that's a good news, this leg- the legislative session, they did pay a law extending Medicaid coverage after the birth. It used to be only 60 days. And I think the law said six months. They hopefully will be able to extend that to 12 months um, because a lot of infant mortality and maternal mortality happens after the birth. And so if you don't have adequate care afterwards, um, it, it, it's a pair of one of these weird things where it actually might save money. People think, oh, we don't want to pay for that. But actually by paying for that, you may actually save the state money because you're going to prevent the complications that the state would then end up paying for. And you might prevent complications in the next pregnancy. That the state would end up paying for and so so it so one of the things so, we're going to work on is an economic analysis if this would work it actually might save the state money not cost the state money to, to fix this interesting so we have talked about infant mortality but we really haven't quite defined mm-hmm. of when we counted you know mm-hmm. for me it's you know uh 
something that's you know if someone's if something is preterm mm-hmm. and they die at birth that's what i think of infant, infant mortality but it's broader than that because you can get more mm-hmm. of a working definition yeah it, it's it's the in the first year of life because sometimes the complication doesn't kill the baby right away. Like a baby born with certain things, they might be able to live for a while, but then they may have multiple NICU stays, health problems, and then it happens later on. And so they they track for the first year of life. Um, the other thing that, that people like, this could be a, an effort that if successful, it might save a lot of money because not only is there the complications at birth, there's the whole following year and even special education costs that wearing my school board hat, you know, 15% of our school board budget is special education. Well, if more, less kids were born with birth problems, you might lower the special ed budget, you know, decades later or even lifelong earnings. I mean, there's so many things that you could do. Like, here, I'll tell you one thing. The reason, one reason I wanted this, to do this report so badly, my, one of my role models in life uh, is a guy named Hans Rosling. He was a professional population health. He wrote Factfulness and went, he gave lots of TED Talks. So he said, if you can measure one thing about a population to be infant mortality, because if infant mortality is bad, lots of things are wrong, basically. And so, uh, but by doing this, we may fix lots of other things. And so if you're going to start anybody, why where, why would you not start with infants, you know? Right, for sure. Um, so I won't get through all the points in your executive mm-hmm. summary, but the one that I really wanted to touch on before you really talk mm-hmm. about Lincoln is <clears throat> one of the facets here is, uh, it was point seven in your executive summary, um, that there needs to be a universal evidence-based health screening intake tool. Within our local continuum of care and within our homeless, we have a thing called a VSPADAT or a vulnerability index, special pop, you know, something like that, where everyone who comes in, they take it, we can put them to the right place. Um, it seems odd that, that we would do that for homeless, but not for this. I think that there's three special populations within the world that I care about. One is homeless, one is elderly people, and one is kids. And I just think it's so interesting. Well, what's the, what's the, the problem was is that there were well, the problem is there were multiple different forms, and every insurance company wanted its own form. And it's hard as if I'm one doctor and every insurance company wants me to do something different. It's hard. One thing it takes extra resources that could be better used someplace else. The other thing is you can't have eight different parallel programs, right? So we, what we're wanting is some consistency because the more consistent it is, the more likely and routinely it will get done. And so we are trying to get our insurance companies to cooperate with each other. Uh, and so that's partly where that came from. And so we're trying to get them to all focus on the same. And the other thing is you have to, you can do a hundred different things, but what are the eight most important things? Cause I, I often say, if everything is important then nothing's important, so you got to prioritize. So, so one of them had this multi-page form. It's like, you know, it's too long. That's why it's not getting done. Shorten it to the stuff you really need to know and get that done. And then we worry about the other stuff later. Uh, and so partly, and that's still in process, by the way. So we're trying to get all three insurance company, Medicaid, managed care plans, and the state of Medicaid to agree. These are the things we should do because these are the, the biggest things that would make a difference. So. Wonderful. And then uh, one of the other points was uh, to better support women, uh, who are minorities or refugees, trusted peers should be recruited. And I'm going to guess also paid mm-hmm. to then, yes. uh, do this. When I read that, I was, I, I thought trusted peer, and part of me mm-hmm. went to, it's going to be someone in my church, my community, uh, neighborhood, cultural center. But I also mm-hmm. thought of our earlier conversation, which is also my employer. Um, is, is there a, is there a, uh, 
is there is there a possibility of working with the different workforce boards across the state that would then mm-hmm. get you know information about and you know this this topic into those boards who are comprised of business leaders across the state just you know so they can like know what the problem is we could but i think oh. the most most available thing though would be actually coming through like you mentioned earlier the cultural centers and the reason why they're already working on health topics they already have some women in at least in lincoln el centro de las americas the malone center asian community center they have a group of women that are community breastfeeding educators they're already working with young women who were recently pregnant to help them to, to breastfeed now we train them up with sort of community health worker training and and actually get them more they would they would be i think much more effective in the population than a bunch of old white guys in the business suit area you know so uh the best person to deliver information to hispanic population is another hispanic woman who speaks the language who might be say guatemalan mexican or sudanese or kurdish or whatever and so we think that would be the most effective if we can take because we already have this group of women in lincoln that are community breastfeeding educators they're doing stuff close to this why don't we expand what they're doing get them more training and pay them <laughs> and so that's yeah. that's one of our things right. we're going to work toward here in the next year is see if we can do that and malone center is actually already doing this uh for its population so we already have an example that's working so so, so this is a great transition just into the last mm-hmm. bit of uh, lincoln you know knowing that lincoln is an urban area where a, a refugee community um mm-hmm. we hit a lot of those check boxes of those things we talked about earlier and then mm-hmm. we you know take that and tie it into we need more pure education so well, map somewhere. Lincoln is our uh, health center is at seventy eight point six. Our uh, health district. In order to get to that two percent, ten percent education is going to be important. Is there a way to estimate how many people you need to hire to get into these communities to really budge that needle? Yeah. Well, we have we have the numbers for the population, so we know we've got X number of Sudanese women and X number of. Hispanic women, okay, now that now it's figured out. And so that's where we're moving toward. Like, actually, that's somewhere here. Got a list of broken down by race. And we also, the birth records have broken down by country of birth. So that way, because oh. like Lincoln, about half of our black population has been here for generations. The other half is Sudanese immigrants, roughly. So, and they're going to operate differently, different cultural language, everything. Right. So, so we'll have to figure that out. So, but I think it's, it, we have the data necessary to have a very strategic targeted plan on how many we need to hire and how often and, that's where the data is really, really helpful. <laughs> data is two data nerds who just—I mean that <laughs> completely affectionately—who uh, loves maps and data and process and just actually just uh, doing the small things. Just to, as my dad would say, sometimes you need to burn the sticks mm-hmm. before you can burn the log, mm-hmm. and you just need to keep moving forward. When we look at Lincoln, um, if people want to be involved in changing the arc locally. But they may not speak speak another language like that, or they don't feel like that they're in any place of importance. How can people be involved and engaged in the work that you're doing to help with this issue? I guess supporting the community centers because the El Centro de las Americas Asian Community Center they're nonprofits. They're they're always running on a shoestring. They need help. They need donations. They need money. Um, you know, other entities like Lincoln Literacy, for example, is amazing. Um, there's a, and they, you can volunteer to teach English, for example, at Lincoln Literacy. Um, so that so we. The, the good thing about Lincoln, we have a lot of really good organizations like that. So help those organizations carry on this message, for example, is, is a great thing. So we've reached the end of our time. Again, if people want to read, read more about this uh, information about how you work, the website one more time is? HealthyNebraska.org. HealthyNebraska.org. 
Dr. Bob Reiner, thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. But with that, I want to thank our listeners for uh, enjoying this for uh, another 30 minutes. We hope that you join us again next week and we'll see you soon.